Hey folks, it's Alex Shaw here. I am back with a miniature PAX-related episode since we just got back, and we are either dog-tired or suffering from the plague. In Tony's case, he says he's suffering from bionic plague. Uh, no idea what that is, but it sounds scary in some sort of cyborg way. Right. We just spent days and days in Seattle experiencing one of the greatest gatherings of geeks, nerds, and gamers on the planet in the year and uh, well we've got tons of stuff to share with you however since most of us are sick or tired um, we can't really do anything right now but what we can give you is an audio interview um, this is already on the uh, website in video form but for those of you who uh, haven't already gone there uh, this is basically an interview with Jonathan Coulton probably the chief proponent of Nerdcore which is geek music out there um, if you've never heard of Jonathan Coulton and uh, you know Frankly, a lot of people haven't, and that is a criminal situation. Uh, you need to go check his stuff out, and you can probably find a whole bunch of his stuff on YouTube. And then, when you realise what an absolute genius he actually is, start buying his stuff as soon as possible, please. Basically, I was lucky enough to get hold of him uh, at a pretty last-minute interview, and uh, Edie Sellers was there with me, and uh, we we talked to him for a good twenty minutes, asking him some fairly searching questions. And I don't talk for quite a long time because Edie clearly, you know, Edie had something to do at this point. She was really, you know, she had been waiting for this for quite a long time. But I'd jump in about ten minutes in, and you know, I give a few good questions as well. Now we will be back in the next few days because we are planning a basic massive podcast with a lot of people who were there as well we actually did record one for you on sunday night and it was a two and a half hour epic in the in a hotel room and everyone was shouting all at once it was such fun and then we found out the whole thing hadn't recorded at all which can kind of suck the wind from your sails but hey say la vie we'll do it again and uh, we will get that out for you as soon as we possibly can. Uh, it's hopefully going to contain uh, the Digital Cowboys, the Married Gamers, and, if we're very lucky, Edie Sellers and Elaine from some other castle. So, we will hopefully be back with, with that in the next couple of days. Now I'm going to move now to the Jonathan Coulton interview, and afterwards we're going to finish with some Jonathan Coulton-related music. See you soon. Hey everybody, Gamer Edie here from GameHounds, and I am here at PAX 2009, and with me is, well, we'll start with the with moderator introductions. I'm Alex Shaw from the Digital Cowboys. And this other guy over here to my right, that's Jonathan Colton. Hello, I'm Jonathan Colton. <laughs> so, um, you are here every PAX. How many PAXs has this been for you? Uh, this is actually only my third. It was 2007 when I first uh, first started coming. Uh, but it's 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 awesome. I love it. What brings you back? What's the thing that that that? Because you go to a lot of different events, and you also have a very busy tour schedule. What brings you back to PAX? Well, you know, one one thing is that it's it's just a. Uh, it really is about fans of stuff in a way that a lot of other events are not. You know, I mean, in particular in the world of games, you know, you compare this to something like E three. Um, which is so much more a, a trade show, you know, and this is much more about people dressing up in costumes and playing video games. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just it's just fun. It's about having fun, and everybody's always very nice. And um, you know, on top of that, it's the it's the biggest uh, audience that I play for. You know, they have this enormous room and this big sound system, and it's you know, I don't know how many thousands of people, five thousand, eight thousand people. It's huge. So it's a lot and you're fun. you're by yourself this year. You know, last year I remember Felicia Day was with you as a singer to help you along with the Portal song and others. Yes, she sang uh, she sang Still Alive with me, which was 
which was nice. I thought there was a nice uh, collision of of uh, geek themes. Um, and uh, and this year, I actually I have some friends named Paul and Storm who are singer songwriters who are doing their own set, but. Uh, I tour frequently with them, so they're going to join me for a couple of songs as well. So I won't be I won't be all alone. Yeah, I actually saw Paul and Storm uh, open for you at San Francisco's Great American Music Hall just a few months ago. I guess it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How did you find do find or you guess you three f- meet up because you seem to be work very well together with not only your audience but your genre. We do. It's we we met on the internet. You know, they they uh, I think it was after <laughs> my. The uh, cover of uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back was out there floating around, and you know they sent me an email and said, "Hey, we're 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 kind of doing some similar stuff," and uh, we exchanged CDs, and I love their stuff, and they love my stuff, and um, you know we decided to start doing a couple of shows together, and it just has worked out so well that we've we've kept doing it. And um, as I recall from what you said, or maybe it was they said during that show, is that. Um, you were also competing against each other in a songwriting contest, right? <laughs> That's right. There was a, uh, it was called Song Fu, uh, and it was our friend uh, Ken Plume, the songwriting contest that he was running, and he would he would choose uh, sometimes very ridiculous requirements um, for a song, or sometimes very generic and and just open ended. But uh, yeah, we were we were uh, it was like it was like Iron Chef for songwriting, mm-hmm. and we. And Paul and Storm and I and and some other people were masters. We were the master songwriters, <laughs> uh, and so the you know the general populace uh, could compete against us. And uh, it was interesting. It's always interesting to have to be forced to write a song about something because you end up writing about something that you wouldn't otherwise choose to write about. Um, and shall we say who won? Uh, <clears throat> well, let's see. I did not. I did not win the contest. Well, there was. I, we, well, there were a couple of different rounds. There were a couple of different rounds, uh, and there was one that that uh, I was victorious, uh, and then there was another that I did not win, because I I wrote a sad song about the moon, and they wrote a funny song about werewolves. <laughs> funny always wins. That's true. And, and, and you know, werewolves. Yeah. Really, the only thing that beats werewolves is zombies. I guess is that is that a known fact that that uh, zombies beat werewolves? I don't know. Scribble notes will not. Scribble notes. Scribble notes. We'll have to check. Do you, you ever play that game, uh, Zombie Werewolf uh, Vampire? One, two, three, shoot, and it's a zombie. And it, no, I'm making that up. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> really? That's awesome. That's I want to. Uh, copyright Game Hounds, <laughs> 2009. Um, so you started, you know, let's take you, go way back in the way back machine. Um, you started your life really not as a songwriter, singer, entertainer. You started as a cubicle dweller right yes um that was that was the job that i ended up falling into the career that i ended up falling into uh uh when i you know became a grown-up uh-huh. um what did you do who, who were you working for i i wrote software for a small firm in manhattan we made uh database software for executive recruiting firms <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know it was actually it was a fun job and a fun bunch of people and um uh, you know, I was never really a great coder. It was I was pretty good, but um, not terrific. Uh, but it was, you know, it was nice. I got to learn something new every day, and uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't as terrible as uh, as it could have been. Uh, uh, but you know, it didn't mean that I wasn't thinking of other things the whole time. You know, mm-hmm. so. 
And then you, where did the idea of a thing a week come from? It was actually a, a co-worker of mine at that job, when, after I had announced to everybody that I was leaving, and I was, I was staying there for another month or something, um, a friend of mine that I worked with said, what, what are you going to do with all, all your free time? And I said, quite honestly, well, I don't really know. Uh, and he said, you should, you should write a new song every week. And I said, well, you can't, that's impossible. Nobody could do that. But then, of course, you know, once I got out of there, I did have a lot of free time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it seemed important to at least pretend it was a job. Pretend I had a job as a songwriter, since that was my declared intention. So uh, I started doing it. I, I wasn't sure it was going to last for a year, but, you know, by the time I had gotten through maybe 10 or ten or 15 songs, it seemed, seemed like something that was possible. Mm-hmm. Did you... Um what did you learn by, I mean, obviously, it's kind of like, um, I can only take it from a writer's point of view because I'm a writer, is that when you force yourself to write at that kind of breakneck speed and just do it, not just get yourself mired down in the, you know, the, the self-questioning, the self-doubt. When you have set, you set timeline, you kind of just force yourself to kind of reach a little bit farther. And the more you do it, the more you learn how to do it. What did you, did, did, did that first thing a week really make a difference in the kind of songwriter that you ended up being? Yeah, I think it did. You know, it, it um, when I when I started, I had a number of ideas that were sort of ready-made, you know, stuff would occur to me, and I'd write it down, and then, uh, you know, when I started this, I had that notebook, you mm-hmm. know, and so I would, I would, I would flesh those things out, and that was great, and then, you know, that lasted for a while, and then... I had I had nothing, you know, I had a completely blank slate, which um, is sort of terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say that's a, that's the really scary part. But that's also that's also when it started to get really interesting, you know. And looking back, it was sort of an excruciating process because um, there were many weeks that I hated what I was doing, and uh, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't, I just didn't have the time to make it as good as I wanted to make it. But I had to had to finish it, you know. Um, uh, but frequently, the ideas that I was forced to to, to write into songs uh, uh, that seemed crazy um, actually worked out very well, mm-hmm. and I never would have chosen to like follow what? them through. Um, there's a song called "Mr. Fancy Pants." <laughs> oh yeah, that is. Uh, I can't even explain what it's about. I'm not even sure. In fact, the first time that I heard you explain it was at the Great American Music Hall, and yeah. I was like, "That's what it's about." I know it's not. Or did, about you just pull, did you just pull that out of your ass? It's and not tell about anything. That. You know what it okay. is? It's about this the sonorous uh, relationship between the word "fancy" and "pants." Right. That's really what the song is about. <laughs> um, and I had this in my head, Mr. Fancy Pants, Fancy Chance, Fancy Fancy Pants. It was going around in my head. And uh, and I had nothing else that week, and I was like, okay, I guess that's the song. And so I made up this story about a guy named Mr. Fancy Pants who has very fancy pants. Ridiculous! <laughs> I don't even want to say it all the way through. It's crazy. It's n- it's nonsense, but it's it ended up being a very catchy song, um, and uh, it's kind of you know it's it's to me it's an interesting piece of art. It's only like a minute and fifteen seconds right. long. It's this really compact piece of meaningless pop stuff, you know? And it's fun. Uh, and it's, it's never in a million years would I have done that. Uh, I would have just sort of let that idea 
fall away. And and now you can go on YouTube and you can see high elementary school I choirs. That. I saw that. Yeah. I, I thought that was just so brilliant. And my favorite thing about that was she when I do that song, I do this live remix with this this sample triggering device. Right. By the way, what, what what is that device called? Because my husband is a, is a sound engineer, and oh. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, I don't know what it is, but no, it's, it's really a, cool. It's, it's called a Zendrum. Uh-huh. It's a it's a very boutique-y uh, gadget, um, and it's just a bunch of MIDI triggers on a pad. It's meant for drummers, really. But Yeah, uh, he's a drummer. That's why he's like, hey, he's pretty, what's that? It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, the, the video you're talking about is a woman who... Uh, conducted her children's choir through a remix uh, so she, she had various hand signals right. that meant various phrases and she would sort of trigger them I have no idea what their parents must have thought <laughs> at that point oh they're, they're little kids you know, well, anything guess, they yeah, do they cute, think it's right? cute yeah. right Chances are your pants are not as fancy as the pair of very fancy pants that Mr. Fancy Pants will wear. When everybody's marching in the Fancy Pants Parade, he's gonna pass the test, he's gonna be the best, the best in terms of pants. You look in every catalog, you shop in every store, cause even though you have a hundred pants, you want some more. And suddenly you see the greatest pants you've ever seen, and even though you know it's gonna cost a lot of dough, you have to have the world's best pants. Say the little prayer for Mr. Fancy Pants. The whole world knows it's only clothes and deep inside he's sad. They make the big announcement and the trophy goes to you. You thought you had some fancy pants and now you know it's true. You look at Mr. Fancy Pants and hold the trophy high. Everybody cheers while he's blinking back the tears. He doesn't even have the best pants. Say a little prayer for Mr. Fancy Pants. It's all he had, but don't feel bad, he'd do the same to you. I will confess I'm a fairly, fairly new to you. Since I found out that you were playing at PAX, I was like, right, got to get into this. And very quickly started really, really enjoying a lot of the things. In fact, Code Monkey got me through a really horrible meeting I had the other... <laughs> week with my manager I was just the whole time thinking maybe you want to write goddamn London page yourself um, but okay enough of my massaging you here's a good question what do you say to the idea that nerdcore is unique as a genre in that it's almost impossible to fake or manufacture it <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question um, yeah, you know, I, I I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't know I don't know why that is, but I think it's I think it's certainly true. It's it's uh, there's a kind of what I, what I love about the concept of nerdcore is that it's sort of this intersection of two things, you know, and you have cred, street cred, and geekery, and it's this kind of geek cred, and that's that's a very it's a very real thing, and it's you know, I think geeks have great bullshit detectors I mean any, anybody who's really involved with a with a, a niche and a, and, a, and a kind of cultural phenomenon like that uh, can can recognize when somebody is uh, you know trying to use it for uh, in, a, in a false way for, for some other kind of gain you know and so um, uh, yeah I, I, I think it's very true that it's a it's an it's an you know it's Frequently a, a very jokey kind of music, but it also has an earnest quality to it uh, that I think uh, comes from a comes from a true place. Yeah. 
Um, and finally, as, uh, do you want to round this one up? Because, I mean, this is fantastic. Um, no, you can round it up. He doesn't seem, he's not moving. You just ask questions till he leaves. Okay. <laughs> till he gets to look like. And I'll run out very quickly. I won't even say anything. Okay, now I did want to ask about, um, because Edie covered the first part of your career, um, how did the whole Valve thing co- go down? Because, like I said, I'm fairly new to, I don't know much about you. Yeah. So. Uh, that was, um, you know, I was doing, I was doing a show in Seattle. Uh, and uh, it was pretty, pretty early on, I guess. And, and uh, some people came up to me after the show and said hello and, and uh, said that they were from Valve. Uh, and uh, I was thrilled because I had been a fan of their games for a long time. And uh, um, uh, they said, hey, you know, I mean, they were just fans. They just come to the show. But um, Kim, Kim Swift, actually, um, who happened to be the the lead of the team for uh, Portal said, "Would you would you ever be interested in writing music for for Valve?" She said, "I don't know I don't know what it would be or what you'd work on, but does that hold any interest?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know." And uh, so then I, I went to visit them in their offices, and we talked about a number of things. I met a few different people, and um, you know, it wasn't clear what we were going to do together. But then, you know, I got to play an early version of Portal, uh, and I met the writer. Um, uh, who had created this incredible voice uh, and character, GLaDOS, uh, and uh, I, I, which I immediately connected with. And he, having heard some of my songs, said, oh, you know what, this, we're writing about the same character. Um, and so why don't... He, he said, you know, I've always wanted to do like a musical theater number in the middle of a video game. <laughs> that, that sounds amazing. Let's definitely do that. Uh, and of course, it didn't end up being in the middle, but um, it essentially is a, a musical theater number. You but know, it is the cherry on top of the cake. It is, <laughs> if oh, you if you will. Yes, yeah. yes. And you know, I it was funny. I wrote the song, and we talked a lot about Glados and who she was, and how she would be feeling at this point. And um, and then I wrote the song, and he had very very few suggestions for changes. And and then I finished it, and uh, you know didn't hear a lot about it until the game I, I actually didn't see the finished version until it was posted on YouTube by somebody uh, and really so they, yeah. you didn't get the no I didn't get to see the I mean I knew sort of what they were planning but I didn't get to see how it had uh, finally finished up and so I, when I watched it on YouTube I was like oh that's wow that's actually very that's remarkably uh, effective uh, mm-hmm. and I think they they uh, they set it up very nicely uh in the end, and of course, it's just a terrific game and very well written, and, and uh, I, I think it's—I'm very proud to be a part of part of that. How often have you played your own songs on uh, Guitar Hero, or I mean, on rock, rock Band? Do you ever do that? Do you have to play your own Rock Band pack? <laughs> Can you 100% expert? Uh, no, Scott Crusher Mountain. No, no, I know that because you, when you were at uh, GDC two years ago, you got 98% on your own song. Yeah, no, it's—I'm not—I'm uh, not a great Rock Band player. You know, and it's true. You aren't? No, it's actually actually a little different from guitar. It's not exactly like playing guitar. It's not? It's not. I know. It's weird, right? Damn it. It feels the same, kind of, <laughs> but it's not. Speaking um, of which, uh, Ari, your brains should be out by the time people hear this. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Oh. That's because yeah. it's the Pax 09 pack. That's right. Yay. Which should also have, if you want to pimp the other guy's music, I don't know what else. Frontalot, MC Frontalot, yeah. Yeah, and, and somebody else too, right? I don't know who else. Freeze Pump? Oh, yeah, Freeze Pop's yeah. putting something in there. I don't know which sure. song. Okay, check it out. Yeah. Um, final question, actually. The one pain in the ass thing about your music is it's really hard to get 
regular people to understand it. <laughs> uh, it's about a passive-aggressive robot who's trying to control this particular... And it's... So... Regarding the whole idea that Nerdcore can't be faked... Yeah. It also can't be mass-marketed. So where, ideally, do you see your career going? You know, kind of here. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty great the way it is. You know, I'm 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 making a living by writing and singing music, which is sort of a miracle to me still. And um uh you know, I I don't I suppose it would be nice to be filthy rich and never have to worry about money ever again, but it doesn't feel like a crucial part of the plan, you know. Um so, well, actually, you, you, aren't you at a level at this point where people or even um, record labels have come up to you and said, would you like a contract? I, I can't imagine you wouldn't be quite at that stage well, yet. Well, it's come up a couple of times. Nothing, nothing, yeah, there have been a couple of situations like that, but it just has never really made uh, sense to me financially for exactly that reason is I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's a mass market appeal for what I do and and uh, you know if the, that would that would be the reason to go with uh, a, a, a label I think is that is that they have access to that mass market and they can make that happen um, you know I do I do still think that they have the, the power to do that but you know the the I have a such a direct channel um, to a large enough fan base to support me that uh, you know without 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 uh, being certain that doing something like that would cause a huge expansion mm-hmm. in the Jonathan Colton empire. You know, I, it doesn't... I, did I, did no, I, I know. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, I'm not. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. It's not an empire. It's not an empire. Um, it is if you believe it. Uh, you're right, right. Um, but, you know, to, to, make it, um, to make it work, it would have to get that much bigger. And I, I just don't know if that's in the cards. Maybe someday. I don't know. I, you know, I think there's a lot of the stuff that I do does have a sort of a level at which you can appreciate it without knowing that it's about a, a passive-aggressive robot. But you are missing out on a lot yeah. if you don't know that it's about a passive-aggressive robot. There's a lot of subtext. Obviously, no. Mr. Fancy Pants is much more of a straightforward... Oh, yeah. Oh, Although, yeah. <laughs> interestingly enough, it really does contextualize a lot of your music when uh, you must have seen the Warcraft videos on YouTube there's yeah. many many different versions of a lot of your songs and it's it's great to have like a little bit of imagery in there just to just to kind of stick it in your head and it just it's brilliant yeah yeah no those videos are great that's a guy named uh, uh, Spiff that's not his real name but well. uh, yeah he's made I don't know 15 of those World of Warcraft videos and he's a bit of a wizard with it I don't know how he does it technically yeah, he's, even he's pretty amazing and, and also he he you know, takes whatever story is in the song and and expands on it, and it's he's. I think he's really great. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice for me too to see them contextualized in that way. I also saw a really good um, office-related one with Jim as Code Monkey, uh, which really fits. Right. I mean, did you, you must have written Code Monkey before then? Uh, I don't remember. I well, of course, I I had seen the the British version of The Office before. Uh. Uh, so I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't know. 
but it fits very well. But you know that, that sort of office that sort of office experience. It's one of the reasons the office works so well. And it's, it's, office space. Yeah, and office space. It's a universal experience. We all know what that's like. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the same for everyone. Which is possibly why some of your songs, not necessarily ones about passive aggressive robots that are very specific, right. might have more of a mass market appeal. Jonathan, it has been an absolute pleasure, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Code monkey, get up, get coffee. Code monkey, go to job. Code monkey, have boring meeting with boring manager Rob. Rob say, code monkey, very diligent, but his output stink. His code not functional or elegant. What do Code Monkey think? Code Monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself. Code Monkey not say it out loud. Code Monkey not crazy, just proud. Code Monkey likes Fritos. Code Monkey likes having Mountain Dew. Code Monkey very simple man. The big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code Monkey like you. He have long walk back to cubicle He sit down, pretend to work Code monkey not thinking So straight, code monkey not feeling So great, code monkey like Fritos Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew Code monkey very simple man Big warm fuzzy secret heart Code monkey like you He thinks someday he have everything, even pretty girl like you. Code monkey just waiting for now. Code monkey says someday, somehow. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Code monkey very simple man. Big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code monkey like you. If you're looking for a podcast that's informational. Do you know we have boobs and play video games? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I'm <laughs> looking at them right now. Hey, check those out. Relevant. <laughs> why, why do you have that blanket and wear your pants? Focused. As the, uh... Yar! And now I'm deaf. <laughs> filled with highbrow humor. I think that might be my stripper name, Raspberry <laughs> And very smart. 
Hi, we're the dumb girls on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Then you will love some other podcast. Join Elaine and Leah every Friday by visiting PlatformNation.com, SomeOtherCastle.com, or subscribing on iTunes. But remember, this podcast is rated M for Mature. And that's all we have for you today. Whilst we were at PAX, we actually did record another podcast with Platform Nation. It was a live show, uh, not straightforward digital cowboys, because loads of people were coming in and out with no particular planning on our part, but we were just really, really happy to be a part of it. And uh, you can find that on Platform Nation, or it's on our website, thedigitalcowboys.com. In the meantime, as a final note, Tony and I actually were, had the pleasure of seeing uh, both Paul Landstorm and Jonathan Coulton at the uh, Saturday night concert uh, PAX and it was one of the greatest concerts of my entire life so I just want to thank Jonathan for not only the interview but for also doing that because uh, it was just incredible I'm going to finish on uh, a song that he actually mentioned in the interview the uh, Space Doggerty one everyone who already knows it will be turning off their iPods because they don't want to start crying this is about uh, Laika the first dog in space it's uh, he finds it I don't know kind of depressing and slightly funny at the same time to sing to us about a dog that's basically about to die but um it's one of the most effective songs about dogs in space I've ever heard and it's it's patently joker anyway hopefully more of him later I've been Alex Shaw happy trails the cage is very small Tiny silver ball makes you a hero the moment you step inside. The world is watching you. What you're about to do will live on forever, even though you'll be dead. The love we're about to turn the engines Hello from Sputnik 2 I am receiving you
life signs are fading. We can't really say that we're.